Matthew chapter 6 for our scripture reading. We're going to just be reading verse 24. And so find your way over to verse 24. We'll be reading that in unison uh, together. Ready? Here we go. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. And that word mammon means money. And so we're going to continue the Lift Him Up series this morning. We're going to preach this title, Lifting Up Christ Through My Money. Lifting Up Christ Through My Money. Let's pray. Lord, I do ask today that you'd uh, help us as we consider a uh, delicate topic, Lord, because money is something that is on all of our minds uh, regularly. Money is uh, a necessary tool to get us through life. But Lord, if we're not careful, money becomes more than just a tool. And so, Lord, because people value their cash, value their possessions so much, this can be a, a touchy topic. Lord, on top of that, it's a touchy topic because people are leery of preachers preaching on it. But God, it is in your word, and I have been commanded to preach your whole word. And so, Lord, I pray there would be grace given from me to the congregation, from the congregation this direction as well. And Lord, I pray that our mature heartbeat would be that we would desire to be in line with Scripture. We'd be in line with Scripture. So help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to consider the truths of your, of your word and to live according to them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. A little boy was given two quarters by his grandmother as he left for church that morning. On his way out the door, his grandmother told him, she said, Little Stevie, one of these quarters is for a cola after church, and the other is for the Lord. Now you hurry on to church, and don't be late for supper. As little Stevie was walking to church, he did what most little boys do when they have change in their pocket. He had it out in his hand and he was playing with it. On his way to church, he crossed a little wooden rickety bridge and one of the quarters fell, off, fell out of his hand and rolled along the wooden plank and then splashed into the river below. Little Stevie looked over the bridge and then under his breath he said, Lord, I'm so sorry, but there goes your quarter. Last year, about this time, I preached a sermon on giving financially by the way of tithes and offerings. I entitled the sermon, Giving by Faith. Giving by Faith. I said in that sermon, and I'll repeat it here again, that I don't talk about tithes and offerings very much. In fact, to those who attend our services regularly, you know that I, I hardly mention it. Pastors get a bad rap because they're always trying to get in your pocket and take your money. And... Um, uh, there is a stereotype, just like police officers eat donuts, preachers preach on money, right? And i got to say that if you know me well, you know that that's not the case. I don't preach on money uh, all that often. Instead of treating it like a rabbit trail that I chase all the time, uh, I, I generally handle it this way. I preach on it uh, once a year, I hit it hard, and then we move on and go on to other things. And so... Uh, that for now, that's my plan on how to handle this topic. And so, you chose to come to church on the day the pastor's going to preach on money. Doesn't that make you feel good? Aren't you glad for that? Um, let's consider this topic of tithes and offerings within our church's theme. Now, this, uh, I guess a few weeks back, I began looking through all the sermons I've preached on Lift Him Up this year. And I was able to move all of the sermons, the Lift Him Up sermons, into two categories, all right? There are the lift him up, uh, my actions 
series, My Actions, How They Lift Up Christ. The entire Engage series would fit under here, Lifting Up Christ Through My Actions. And then there is Lifting Up Christ, um, uh, Lift Him Up uh, Christ's Attributes. Now, most of the sermons I have preached this year uh, in the Sunday morning, the Sunday a.m. with Lift Him Up have been Christ's Attributes. We've talked about uh, His coronation. We've talked about His compassion. We've talked about His causes and several others. Uh, tonight, we're going to look at another installment in the Christ attribute. We're going to look at His commandments. Uh, the, the series, My Actions, I have preached most of these in the evening. And if you could throw that slide up there, here are the ones I have preached to date. We've looked at lifting up Christ through my speech, uh, through my trials, through my temptations, through my church. And then this morning, we're going to look at lifting up Christ through my money, through my money. Now, you might wonder, uh, uh, did, did Jesus talk about money very often? As a pastor, it is my duty to preach the whole counsel of God, right? From Genesis 1-1 with the word in to Revelation 22-21 and the word amen and the concordance as well. No, I'm teasing about that part. Uh, but uh, I'm to preach everything in between. I'm supposed to give you a well-balanced diet, line upon line, precept upon precept, here, there, here a little, there a little. I'm supposed to give you the whole counsel of God. And so I am not doing my job if I do not preach this topic. I'm not doing my job. In the spring, I preach a sermon on modesty, and I preached one last year. Happened to be the lowest attended Sunday evening of the year, so you probably didn't hear it. But um, I'll preach that, a sermon like that, uh, every year as well. And uh, I, I take these topics, these tough topics, and I try to tackle them once a year because they are in the Bible, and I should not avoid them. And I won't avoid them. And I'm not going to be ashamed or bashful about what I'm saying today either because I believe that if you live in compliance to what I'm preaching today, it will better your life, not hinder your life. Now, uh, you might wonder, did Jesus talk about uh, money very often? Now, let me share this with you. Jesus talked about money a lot. Sixteen, listen to this, sixteen of the 38 parables Jesus told were concerned with how to handle money and possessions. In the Gospels... Watch this now, an amazing one out of ten verses, a tithe of the verses of the gospel, 288 in all, deal directly with the subject of money. The Bible offers 500 verses on prayer, less than 500 verses on faith, but more than 2,000 verses on money and possessions. Now, I have to believe that when God wrote the Bible in heaven, knowing that men would put chapter and verse markings in there later, that he did it in a way where exactly one-tenth or a tithe of the gospel would be about money and possessions. Why? Because God expects us to give a tithe of our money to him. I believe that if the Christian can learn to control his money and possessions, instead of allowing wealth or the desire of wealth to control the Christian, then the Christian is set up to experience a deeper, fuller relationship with both heaven and the world around him. I'm going to ask you a question this morning, alright? And in your heart, I want you to answer yes or no. You don't have to answer out loud, but I want you to answer yes or no. Do you, you, do you believe that God owns and controls all the money in the world? Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? Do you believe that every dime in your purse, or your wallet, or your handbag, every dime, every dollar, every... Fifty, every hundred that you have in a bank, every every dollar, every dime in a retirement fund. Do you believe that God owns 
and controls that money. Do you believe that? Um, do you believe that God can give to you abundantly if He so chooses? If God controls all the money, then don't you think God's capable of giving you as much money as He wants you to have? Isn't He capable of that? No, I'm not a health and wealth preacher. I'm not saying that if you will put an abundance of money in the offering plate, God's going to make you a millionaire and you'll never get sick. I will never preach a sermon like that because that's just not in the Bible. And by the way, if you're watching someone that's preaching that, or you're attending a church ever that is teaching that, run. Run. That is not how it works. God has not promised you millions if you give to the Lord. But I would like us to consider the fact that God can give money and take money from whoever He wants, whenever He wants. If you don't believe me, go back and read the book of Job. Job was wealthy because why? God had put a fence around him and given him the wealth. And then what did God do? In one day, in a few minutes, God took all his money away. He went from being the wealthiest man on the planet to being a pauper. In just a few short minutes. And then, once God taught Job what he wanted to teach him, he gave Job twice the wealth that he had had before. So, does God control and own all of your money? The answer is yes, He does. Yes, He does. Can God give abundantly to you if that's what He wants to do? The answer is yes, He can. Yes, He can. Now, I do believe that God does not give most of us loads of cash because He knows we would not be responsible in how we handle it. The truth is, if God dropped $200 million on top of you right now, it may ruin you. You ever watch those documentaries about people who hit the lottery? Ruins their life, many of them. It divides and walls off relationships. It, it ostracizes and it, it, it bankrupts people. i got to say that today I am glad that I am not filthy rich. Honestly, I really am. Um, I don't live to be a multimillionaire. I don't live to be a millionaire. I need enough money to pay my bills and take care of my things and, and have a little bit stowed away for a rainy day. And other than that, if I can take my wife out to get a burger, I'm happy. I don't need to have loads and loads and loads of cash. More about that in a minute. Oftentimes, God allows us, please, please hear what I'm about to say. God allows us to struggle along financially because our thinking about our finances puts our own needs and wants ahead of our faith. Until we turn this around, we will be struggling against God instead of working alongside of God or with God. I propose that Christians who learn how to work with God financially are Christians that will find and enjoy great financial freedom. Now, again, let me word that this way. You can either pull on the rope against the God who is the ultimate banker of the world. Not only the banker, but the possessor of the money. Or you can pull on the rope with God. With God. Now, I don't know about you, I don't want to be on that side of the rope. I want to be pulling with God when it comes to my money. I want to be doing it His way. From Matthew chapter 6 this morning, the Sermon on the Mount here, let's consider six principal thoughts about money. Six thoughts, and how we can use it to elevate our Savior. I would encourage you to take notes this morning. Number one, notice the control money has. The control money has. Look down at verse 24 with me here. Please uh, look down here. It says, No man can serve 
Can we out loud, enthusiastically read the next two words? Ready? No man can serve two masters. Two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. The end of the verse, we find the masters. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now that word mammon in the Bible means money. You cannot serve God and money. You can't do it. So, what are the two masters? They are God and they are money. God and money. Now, notice it calls them masters. Here Christ offers an ultimatum. Here's the ultimatum. He says, choose God or choose money. Choose God or choose money. One is going to be your master. They both can't be your master. One or the other. Matthew chapter 6.24 is pretty cut and dry, isn't it? Choose your, ma- cho- choose your master. Is your master going to be God? Or is your master going to be money? Now, if you're not listening intently to what I'm going to say, if you're daydreaming right now and then you wake up from your daydream in about 120 seconds, you're going to think that I'm off, off kilt from Scripture. You're really going to have to follow my, my line of thought here. So, on purpose, right here, pay attention, alright? Um, some solid conclusions can be drawn from this idea of money and, and, and God being the master, alright? Money is the master of the lost. Money is the master of the lost. Now, how can I say that so definitively? If you're not saved, if you've not put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone to save you, if you've not been born into the family of God anew, then you don't even have the choice of God being your master. Money is your master. You live for money and you, you need that money to be able to care for, care for you and take care of you. Why? Because it isn't even an option. Here it is cut and dry. If God is not your master, then money is your master. If you're lost and without salvation through Christ, then you are a slave to the almighty dollar. Now, I'll say this. While all the lost people have money as their master, many Christians, I'll even say this, most Christians have money as their master as well. Money is their master. Most Christians. I would even guess it's somewhere upwards of 90% of professing Christians. Money is truly their master. Money is truly their master. Let me illustrate. Now, by the way, I'm going to use my son as an illustration. I told him what I was going to say, and I got his approval to use him before I said this. Now, I don't always do that, but I'm not going to cast Matthew in the best light here. All right? And so I told him what I was going to say, and he signed off on it. All right? I, I want to be respectful of my kids. Um, how many of you here have a hard time, or had a hard time, depending on uh, your situation? Those of you with children, whether they're grown or little, how many of you either had a hard time or are currently having a hard time getting them to want to do household chores? If that's you, would you please slip up your hand? Some of you have a child sitting next to you. Both hands are up, and you're staring meanly and angrily at them, right? Um, such is the case in the Lejeune house. Our children walk around, and they look well put together because they've got a mother that loves them and takes care of them. Uh, but our children do not like household chores. They do not like them. And if their bad attitude isn't on the outside, probably there's a small little one on the inside. And they know they can't show one on the outside or they get in trouble. My children, they don't come up and say, Hey, Mom, can I wash the dishes for you after supper? That just doesn't happen. And I'll catch Matthew running to his room to play, running back to the game station, and I'll say, Hey, Matthew, go wash the dishes. And he'll drop his shoulders and he'll walk back with a bad attitude. Um, why? Because he's like, he's like your kids. 
However, there are some chores Matthew is dying to learn how to do. I told him a while back, I said, listen, if you can learn how to shovel snow, you can shovel the neighbor's snow and you can make some money. Dad, can you teach me how to shovel snow? (laughs) Matthew, if you'll learn how to cut the lawn, you can cut the neighbor's lawn and you can earn some money. Every time I'm getting dressed to go outside and cut the lawn, Dad, can I help you? Can, can, I, can I help you cut the lawn so I can learn? Now, the reason why Matthew's interested in shoveling snow and learning how to cut the lawn is because money, money is what he wants. Money is his master. Money is his master. Now, um, i got to say that he is growing up in a home where for mom and dad, money is not the master. At a very young age, for both Angel and I in our married life, God punished us because money was our master. He's not learning that from Angela and I. You know why he does that? Because it's his sin nature. It's natural for him. Money, money is your master because society teaches you that money is king. The bigger the house you live in, Driving, you know, drive as nice of a car as you can drive. Live in as big of a house as you can live in. Own the fanciest pair of shoes and the fanciest clothes and hang out with the most prestigious people and buy up and buy up and buy up and buy up and, and have more money in the bank and more money in the bank and more money in the bank. This is the sermon that you will hear preached from the time you're born until the time you die if you live in this materialistic country. It just is. It's the nation we live in. What is the American dream? The American dream is get everything you can and put as much money in the bank as you can. And you hear people talking about rags to riches and all that stuff. And riches are praised. Riches are praised. Why? Because money is taught to be the master. And for the world, they're not even subtle about it. But not only is it because of what society teaches us. Christian, it's because it's in your heart. It is your sin nature. To let money control you. To let money be your king. No getting around it. Money is a necessary commodity. If you don't have it, then you can't, uh, uh, then you can't get by. The question is, do you control your money or does your money control you? Do you own your money or does your money own you? Alright, I want everybody to participate here. Everybody, everybody. No exception. You gotta speak out right here, okay? Uh, quick, quick, quick. True or false? Quick, quick, quick. True or false? Money is the root of all evil. It's false. The love of money. The love of money is the root of all evil. I'm gonna pull that one on you in 12 months. I expect more of you to, to, to pass that, okay? The love of money is the root of all evil. Can we be honest with ourselves this morning? Do you love money more than God? Or do you love God and hate money? The Bible says there that either you will hold the one, rather you will love the one and hate the other, or you will hold the one and despise the other. You've got to learn to love the one and hate the other. Is it any wonder our world hates God? They're in love with money. They're in love with money. Christian, you can't ride the fence on this. You can't hold hands with God and hold hands with money and let both be your master. You just can't do that. It's got to be one or the other. 
Number one, the control, the control money has. Number two, the corruption, the corruption money brings. Look down with me at verse number 19 in your Bibles, will you? Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. And I'm going to give you some words to underline if you underline in your Bible here. It says, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth, I've got that underlined, and rust, that as well, doth corrupt, moth, rust, and corrupt underlined, and where thieves Breakthrough, underlined, and steal. Moth, rust, corrupt, breakthrough, steal. All underlined in my Bible. Moth, rust, corrupt, breakthrough, and steal. Or at least highlighted in my notes here. Now, what do all those things have in common? They're evidence that your money is going to corrupt. Now, money itself corrupts, and money corrupts that which it controls, because corruption is the uh, is a great synonym to describe, or rather a great word to describe what money is and does. Let me give you an A, B, and C here. Notice, notice first letter A. It depreciates over time. It depreciates over time. Now, uh, let me prove this to you by way of illustration. Um, gallon of gas by decades. I did some research here. Um, 1930s. In the 1930s, you could get a gallon of gas, nationwide average, for 10 cents a gallon. 10 cents a gallon. Wouldn't it be great if it was that much again? 10 cents a gallon. Now, watch how it rose here. In the 1940s, it went from 10 to 11 cents. The 1950s, it was 18 cents. I'm going to get into your, some, some of your decades here soon, if I haven't already. 1960s, 25 cents a gallon. 1970s, 36 cents a gallon. Now watch the jump from the 70s to the 80s. The 1980s, it went to $1.19 a gallon. 1990s, $1.34 a gallon. Uh, the 2000, 2000 to 2009, it averaged $2.09 a gallon. And from 2010 to current, it has averaged around nationwide $2.50 a gallon. $2.50 a gallon. You see how that your money is going uh, less far and less far every year? You could take a dollar to get. You could fill up your tank. You could put twelve twelve uh, gallons in your car for a buck twenty in nineteen fifty. Boy, it's forty bucks now, isn't it? I think I average my uh, Angela's SUV. I think I average thirty six dollars, thirty six to forty dollars uh, uh, every time I fill up, compared to a dollar twenty back um, in the nineteen thirties and nineteen forties. How about the cost of car by decade? How many of you here remember your very first car purchase? How many of you here remember that? Uh, how many of you here, I'm curious, how many of you here paid less than $2,000 for your first car? Would you raise your hand? Less than $2,000, all right? Keep them up a minute, keep them up a minute. Keep them up if you paid less than $1,500 for your first car. All right? Less than $1,000 for your first car. Less than $500 for your first car. Pauline, what'd you pay? You don't remember. Put your hand down. No, I'm teasing. <laughs> I'm just picking on you. It was 50 cents probably, right? A couple, couple hundred dollars. Do you remember, Maxine? $19.56 Mercury for $100. Mike? $300. Was it a newer car? Right off the lot? <laughs> Not the, the used car lot, though, right? It wasn't brand new, but it was a nice car. Well, well taken care of car. Let me uh, share this with you. The 1930s, uh, the average car. So again, you got the low cost and you got the high end cars, alright? This would have been the average cost of a new car in the 1930s was $600. 
$600. In the 1940s, it rose to $850. Can you imagine that? Well, I can't believe the markup. I paid $600 last decade. How dare they charge me $850 now? Uh, the 1950s was uh, uh, $1,510. In the 1960s, it rose to $2,600. The 1970s, it rose to $3,450. Here's that 70s to 80s jump, that devaluing of the dollar, that depreciating of the dollar. The 1980s, it went from 3450 to $7,200. That would be a great deal today. And the 1990s was $16,950. And from 2000 to 2009, you could get a brand new car on average for 27.9. And uh, this decade that we live in now, a brand new car, average cost, will cost you around $31,300. $31,300. Can you see where I'm going here? The dollar has gone from being worth a whole lot more in the 1930s than it is almost uh, 80 years later, a little over 80 years later. Here, here's one that will interest you. Um, McDonald's Big Mac in 1968, 49 cents. 49 cents. Anybody want to guess what the average nationwide cost of a Big Mac is today? $5.04. $5.04. And I think they have shrunk them as well. <laughs> have they not? They've gotten smaller and the price has gone up 500%. You're stowing all that money away. You're working hour after hour, laboring hour after hour to put uh, dollar after dollar away in the bank. And what's happening? It's corrupting. It's corrupting. It's losing its value. I don't like getting political, but I've I got to get this in here. Raising minimum wage doesn't fix the problem either. When they raise minimum wage, it raises the price of the Big Mac and the price of the gas a gallon and the price of the car. The, the, the CEOs of these companies, they're not going to make less money. They're just going to fire people and replace them with robots. And that's what's happening. Soon, in fact, McDonald's is already experimenting with kiosks that you order from. And that will be everywhere soon. You won't have a cashier take your order. And they keep demanding a higher and higher wage. They're going to just have less and less employees. They're not going to move the budget line there. And if they do move it, it's going to come out uh, on, uh, on the uh, consumer there. I hope you're getting the idea here that money depreciates with time. It corrupts. Letter B, it devalues human morals. It devalues human morals. How many powerful people are locked up in prison every single year because they took a bribe or they embezzled funds? I'm talking about powerful CEOs of large companies and they're wearing a prison outfit right now because they took a bribe or they embezzled funds. I'm talking about chief financial officers who uh, uh, misdirected money and cooked the books. I'm talking about presidents of countries who are right now sitting and rotting in prison because they took some bribe from some construction company to give them a bid and they looked the other way. This happens around the world and around our country every day where people want more and more and more money and you say, well, it hasn't happened to me. Listen, you keep loving money and you keep letting it be your master. It's going to corrupt you. It's going to tear you down. It's going to devalue your your human morals. How many people have taken a job in another state because they were offered a pay raise? There was no church for their family. They left the geographical will of God for their life and by serving their master, the almighty dollar, 
They sold their family to the devil. Look, I have seen it. I've grown up in church my whole life. I have seen it where you ask someone, oh, you're moving. Yeah, yeah, I got a job and my, my job, or my company's moving me or I got a new job in another state. Well, have you found a church? Nah, you know, we'll figure that out when we get there. Well, wait a minute. If God is your master, then you're not just going to up and move without knowing that the church house, which is supposed to be the hub of the wheel of the Christian life, is well established there and that you have prayed over it and God has given you a certain piece about that. It devalues human morals. I have known many pastors who have fallen by chasing money and loving it instead of loving God and trusting Him to provide. Pastors who have taken advantage of the elderly. Pastors who have... Uh, uh, stolen money off the top. I think this is a good place for me to say that at White Oak Baptist Church we have a strong set of checks and balances in place where nobody, nobody can take money. In fact, Brother Owens and I had a lengthy conversation just a couple of weeks ago to make sure that, that every single person who touches our money is accountable. Every single person. Uh, it is set up where if I were to steal money from the church, it would be discovered quickly. If uh, our financial secretary, Mrs. Rivera, were to somehow uh, uh, take money, that would be discovered immediately. If uh, Brother Owens were to take money, it would be discovered re- really quick. Our ushers can can't skim a 20 off the top of the offering uh, because there are two people on the money all the time. And uh, I'll also add this, that I don't know here who gives what. If you tithe, great. I'm glad you're obeying Scriptures. If you don't tithe, tithe, I don't know about it. In fact, if my own staff stopped tithing, I would not know about it. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. Now you say, well, why is that? The truth, the, the truth is that um, I don't want to ha- be able to be limited in my preaching. I don't want to stay away from preaching on certain topics because a big giver in the church is sitting there and they struggle with that. I don't like that. I don't want that limitation. I don't want those handcuffs. And on top of that, there's a lot of temptation that comes with knowing knowledge like that. Uh, earlier this year, we had a uh, uh, someone who attends our church or a member of our church, uh, someone who's associated with our church, gave a large offering toward our uh, our mortgage. Praise the Lord for it. It was a lot of money. It was a lot of money. And I'm very thankful for it. But I can say with a clear conscience and a clear heart that I do not know who that was that gave that money. And I don't want to know who that was. And so if you give money, don't come tell me. Uh, I don't want to know that because really this is about you and God and your relationship with God. It's not about your relationship with me. Money, money devalues human morals. Letter C, we see it distracts from God's plan. I'm going to spend the majority of the sermon in this point today. And so don't, uh, don't be clock watching on me. We're going to get through the rest of the sermon in a normal time. It distracts from God's plan. What is God's plan? What is God's plan? Well, 100% of the money that you have was provided to you by God. You believe that this morning? You say, God didn't go to work. I went to work. Careful. Who gave you the air that you breathe? Who gave you your heart that's beating? Who gave you those muscles in your arms? Who gave you that brain in your skull? Who gave you your intellect and IQ? God did. And God can take it from you anytime He wants. Every penny that you have made was given to you by God. And it's owned by God. Now, Angel and I have a practice in our house 
And we tell our kids all the time, you don't own anything. Everything you own belongs to me and your mother, and we let you use it. And April says, but it's my hair barrette. I, it was given to me. And I say, if you live under my roof and I pay for your bills, then I own it and I let you wear it. I let you wear it. Every toy you own, I can take from you. Right? They're my children. Those are my things that sit in their rooms. You may give a gift to one of my children. And I thank those of you that have done that. We don't expect it, but we're thankful for it. It might say Matthew on the tag or April on the tag. The truth is you're giving it to me and I'm letting them have it. I'm letting them have it. Um, it works the same way with God, doesn't it? That bank account might have your name on it, but that's God's money under your name. That $20 bill in your wallet right now, that might be sitting in your pocket, but that's God's money He's allowing to sit in your pocket and the money that's in my pocket. Now, um, if it is God's, plan, God's money and we live with that in mind, then we must be obedient with what He tells us to do. What does God tell us to do? Well, God asks that we give 10% of it back. Turn over to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3. Everybody turn there. Even if you have the verses memorized, I want you to turn over there. I want you to look at it. Everybody, even if you don't normally turn where I tell you to turn, I'm asking that you do it this time. Malachi chapter 3. If you know where the book of Matthew is, turn one book to the left and you're in Malachi. Malachi chapter 3. Look at what it verse number 8. It says there, Will a man rob God? Verse 8 again, Malachi 3. Ye have robbed me. So, the prophet is accusing the people reading the book of robbing God. But you say, wherein have we robbed thee? How do you rob God? Do you stick a gun in his face and say, get, stick him up? Give me everything you got? No, 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 that's not how we rob God. Wherein have we robbed thee in tithes and offerings? Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes in the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall be room enough to receive it. Pour you out a blessing. God says, you rob me when you don't tithe. Now, the word tithe in Spanish is the word diezmos. diezmos and uh, uh, Spanish speakers know that word to mean 10%. The word tithe in English means just that. It means 10%. I did not know that until I was a Bible college student. Uh, I heard the word my whole life, didn't know what it meant. But that's exactly what the word means is 10%. God says, look, 100% of the money in your bank account, in your pocket that you get in your paycheck is mine loaned to you, and I want to see your obedience that you give 10% back. Now, it says tithes and offerings. I believe that you ought to give beyond the 10%. Uh, and uh, Angel and I, for years, have practiced giving beyond the 10%. We give money to missions every single uh, uh, paycheck. And that's been our habit. That's our offering. And I would encourage you to give offerings as well. But at the very least... We're obligated to give that money. And when we serve money as our master, it tempts us not to tithe. So, number one, we see the control money has. Number two, the corruption money brings. Number three, we see the concerns we all have. The concerns we all have. Go back to Matthew chapter 6 with me, if you will. Matthew chapter 6 and look at verse number 25. 
It says there, therefore I say unto you, read those next three words out loud together with me. Ready? Take no thought. Go down to verse number 31. Verse 31. And remember, the, the purpose of this uh, teaching is money, uh, uh, giving, uh, uh, stowing up in heaven. Verse 31. Therefore, next three words, take no thought. Verse 34, the first four words. Ready? Take therefore no thought. Now go back to verse 25. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, uh, uh, nor uh, yet for your body, what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat, and the body more than raiment? And the body than raiment. Now verse 31 and 34 say almost the same thing, worded just a little bit different. Why did Jesus tell us three times in ten verses to not be concerned? Because he knew we would be concerned. Because we all have concerns. We all have concerns. Three times. Three times in ten verses, God warns us about the concerns that one would have over what money does for all of us. Why? Well, let me give you letter A. Provision of needs. Provision of needs. Why? Why is it that He knew we would be concerned? Because He knows that it is our nature to be concerned about clothing on our backs, food in our bellies, and provision for our own. The truth is, fundamentally, we need money to survive, don't we? Money buys groceries. Money pays the rent or the mortgage. Money buys clothes. Money puts gas in the car. Money makes the car payment. Money pays the light bill and all the other bills. Without money, our needs won't get met. So herein lies the fundamental question to everyone under the sound of my voice. Listen carefully. Who provides you the money? To pay for your necessities. Who? Let me hear you. Who? God. Alright. If it is God, then don't you think that the best way to get money from Him is to live a life of compliance to Him? Isn't that the best way to get money from God? Here is how uh, backwards our thinking becomes about money. You have God, who again, owns all the money in the world, controls all the money in the world over here, and He says, there's a way I want you to live your life. There's an attitude I want you to have toward Me, and a different attitude I want you to have toward money. And if you want to get money from Me, then you've got to be living your life in line with Me. And here we are over here. Well, Pastor, I can't go to church on Sunday because I have to work. Okay, let me back up and let's review this again. God says, I own all the money of the world. And if you want to get the money from me, you've got to live in compliance with me. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. But, but I gotta work, I gotta get money. And I would say to you, you don't have faith. You don't have faith. Listen, if, you're work, if you work a job that takes you away from church on Sundays, I would say to you that money is your master. Money is your master. You're not to forsake. Uh, uh, God wants you to step out on faith and say, Lord, I trust you that if I live in compliance to you, you will provide the means to, pro- to take care of all of the needs that I have. That I have. This is exactly why you ought to tithe. Now, um, let me just say this as well. Address the elephant in the room for some folks. I'm not pushing you to give so that I can get a raise. That's not the purpose of this. The truth is, if all of you in here knew my vision for White Oak Baptist Church, you'd probably go hide under a rock somewhere. I have big plans for our church in this area. The truth is, one day I would love to see a stadium built that seats 25,000 people. 
that I preach to every week with White Oak Baptist Church out in the front yard. And if that was the case for this area, we'd just be scratching the surface of the people. There are hundreds of thousands of people that live within a 30-minute drive of this church. We can't reach them all. The more money you put in the plate, that money can be used as a tool to edify the Master and put His name out. That's the purpose of this. That's the purpose of this today. These pastors that preach on giving and then drive a Bentley... These pastors that preach on giving and live in a, 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 live in a $3.2 million mansion. My goal here is to always be a middle class person. Live in a middle class neighborhood. I have no aspirations of living in a mansion. I wouldn't want to take care of it. I wouldn't want to pay people to take care of it. Uh, look, I drive a 1997 green Honda Accord with 100,000 miles on I love my car. Don't take my car from me. That's the lifestyle I enjoy. I enjoy I'm not asking you to give money so the pastor can get fat and rich. I'm asking you to give money so we can see more people saved with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So His Word can go forth. And I'm asking you to give your money to the Lord because it will be you living in obedience to Him. Letter A, provision of needs. Letter B, provision of niceties. Provision of niceties. Can we just be honest today? If money is your master, it isn't so you can pay your bills. It's so you can have the latest and greatest cell phone. Is so you can drive a newer car. Pastor, I don't buy my car. I lease my car. Because after three years, it's out of date and it's old. And I need a new car. If you lease your car here today, that's great. I'm, I'm not mad at you. I'm not preaching against you. That's fine. But that snobbish type attitude can sink in, can slip in if we're not careful. If we're not careful, now leasing might be best for you. Please don't take that out of context. That might work best for you. That's great. But the, the point I'm making here is larger than that. Is this, I have to have the best of the best of the best. Ooh, I could never, ever have my kid eat out of the lunch line at school. No, no, no. i got to spend $100 a week sending Junior with the world's best lunch. Niceties. Niceties. I, you know, uh, we were living in a, uh, a home that had two garages, but I needed a place to park my, uh, you know, that uh, vintage car that I'm buying. So I needed that three-car garage. This is the kind of attitude I'm talking about. We live in America. We really don't know what needs are. We think we do, but we don't. And we work 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 to live a lifestyle that's way above what we need. What we need. Listen, you're not going to die if you don't have Comcast. You're not going to die if you run out of minutes on your cell phone for, for a couple of days in the month. Living within your means is such an important thing. The, the concerns we all have. Number four, notice the Creator we ignore. Creator we ignore. I'll move quickly through the remainder of the sermon. Look down to Matthew chapter 6 and verse 26 with me, please. Matthew chapter 6 verse 26 says, Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap. Uh, th- those would be the birds. Nor gather in the barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, taking thought, can add one cubic unto a stature? And, um, and, 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 uh, and why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow and toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. Jesus here is speaking to his disciples. He points at uh, a, a birds flying overhead. And he says, look at the grace they're flying with. He said, it is my job as their creator to take care of them, my creation. He said, you know, they don't worry. They're not concerned. There's no anxiety over money. They don't toil. They're not um, fretting, uh, wondering how they're going to pay their bills. They're taken care of. He said, look at that field of lilies. 
He said, Solomon in all his glory. Solomon, maybe the richest man ever to walk the planet. Solomon in all his fine linen and all his gold that he wore. And, and, and Solomon bathed in his uh, uh, bathtubs of cologne and perfume. As, as, as arrayed as Solomon was, he did not look as good as that field of lilies right there that I look after and take care of every day. He said, don't forget about the, crea- the creation. The creation we ignore. Don't forget about the creation. Creation. My friend, if God can take care of the lilies and God can take care of the sparrows, don't you think God can take care of you? You say, but pastor, listen. Here's, he, 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 you say, pastor, here's what it comes down to. Okay, my, my income is this. And my outcome is this. And if I give, if the 100% doesn't cover my outcome, how in the world is the 90% going to cover the income? And I would say to you that 90% plus faith is more than 100% without faith. You say, but pastor, faith isn't dollars and cents. And to that I would say, oh yes, it is. Angela and I could sit you down and tell you story after story after story where we did not have enough money to pay our bills. We put the tithe check in anyway and God magically provided and took care of our bills. It has happened to me more times than I can count. More times than I can count. Growing up in a home where money was tight and parents believed in, in being obedient in this area, I watched my dad every week faithfully drop that tithe check, every two weeks rather, drop that tithe check in the offering plate. And I watched as God provided over and over and over again. If God can take care of the birds in the sky and the flowers of the field, don't you think He's capable of pay, paying your bills? Now, he, He's not going to sign up and volunteer to pay for all the extras in life, but He'll take care of the necessities. Number five, the Creator who provides. Look down at verse number 30. It says there, Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast in the oven, shall He not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Now again, take no thought mentioned three times. Why shouldn't we take thought of our provisions, of the things that money gives us? Because your Creator promises that He will faithfully provide. Pull on the same end of the rope with the Savior. Number six, and lastly, notice the conditions we must meet. The conditions we must meet. Look down at verse 33. Verse 33 says there, But seek ye first, what? The kingdom of God. Here are the conditions. And His righteousness... And all these things shall be added unto you. Now, if you've gone to church any length of time, you're familiar with verse 33, but keep it in context of the rest of the passage. What are these things? There are needs. There are food in our bellies. There are shoes on our feet. There are roof over our head. There are a vehicle to get around. In 2017, you need a vehicle to get around, especially if you don't live inside a big city. God promises He'll provide your need. Look down at verse 21 with me. Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, it says... For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Listen to what I'm about to say to you right here. Do you know why I think that this church body, and I don't mean church building, I mean church body, why I believe this church body struggles with faithfulness? I've been a member of many different churches. I don't know that I've seen a church sway in the amount of people that come as regularly as this one does. Some weeks we'll push right under 200. Other weeks we'll have 120. And it's not our buses. Pretty much our buses are faithful. I mean, we have about the same 30 that ride our bus every week. Those kids are faithful. They don't miss. Do you know why it is some of you struggle with faithfulness? Because your heart's not here. 
You're not all in yet. You're not all in yet. Now again, I can say this with full liberty because I don't know who gives what. Alright, look at here. If your treasure's here, your heart's here. And if your heart's here, you're here. You're here. Some of you, the reason why you're not faithful is because you are working in opposition to God. Money is your God. Money is your master. And you're pulling on a rope. You're pulling on a rope that's tied to an immovable object. And you're never going to move it. And you're going to struggle and struggle and struggle and struggle and struggle until you just submit and come under and say, God, I'm going to do this your way and I'm going to let you give me all the money that you want me to have and then I'm going to do the best I can with the provisions that you have given me. It's a conditional promise in the Bible that we must meet. If we want our needs met, if we want our needs met, then we must seek first His kingdom. We must seek first His kingdom. That means we must put forth His kingdom and His righteousness first in our heart. And when we do that, oh my goodness, all these things are added unto us. question today is, is this morning, is money controlling you or are you controlling your money? I finish with this. Many people think money is security. But 1 Timothy 6.9 uh, warns that it, it can be just the opposite. A few years ago, columnist Jim Bishop reported what happened to people who won the state lottery. One of the people he mentioned, Rosa Grayson of Washington, won $400 a week for life. Not going to pay all your bills, but it, it would definitely be a boost, right? $400 a week for life. It says here she hides in her apartment. For the first time in her life, she feels nerves. Everyone tries to put uh, the touch on her. People are so mean, she says. She says, I hope you win the lottery and we'll see what happens to you. The money that we bow down and worship ends up bringing misery and depression. But when we bow down and worship God, and God is our master, the money becomes a tool that we use to serve Him. Then great joy just drips right off of us. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. Every head bowed, every eye closed.